This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Hi, I'm Abby Matusek, and I'm going to talk about anxiety. I have been dealing with anxiety since I was in second grade, and I've had a problem with um, going places and being in crowded situations. I have this rush of anxiety and fear and doubt. It's hard to explain because most people have never felt the anxiety I have. Most of the time um, when I have a panic attack, I can't talk and I, I don't want to move, um, so my body shuts down. And because I'm hyperventilating, my hands start to close in. When I have a panic attack, I really need somebody to look at me and say that they are there for me and they're going to sit next to me. Um, I don't like need the uh, physical kind of touch unless uh, I ask for it. I really need somebody just to sit next to me because I don't like to be alone in the situation. I like to know that somebody's there and I like to know that somebody's listening to me. If you run into someone with anxiety, um, I think that it's a great opportunity to really um, engage with them and say, um, and sit with them and talk to them. I just think that like distracting myself is really a key way of really getting my mind off of it. And then also, like, there's some times where I just need somebody to be silent with me and just sit with me and uh, tell me that, like, God is in control and that he is working in my life, even though I've had this big thing that's happened. My uh, huge thing right now is uh, that uh, I really want people to know that God is in control and He is in control. Um, so I've done a lot of artworks about it. Probably for my entire life, I'm probably going to live with it. I can make sure that it's not going to take over my life. I don't want this to take hold of my life. I don't want I don't want this anxiety to stop me from being a leader and being who I am to um, show God's love. So. <clears throat> well, maybe we should have put a song in there so I could collect my emotions a little better after. <laughs> watching your daughter on a screen, but thanks, Abby, for being honest with people. Uh, so, today I get to tackle a subject that uh, I don't think is really discussed that often in church, 
In fact, uh, 40 plus years of attending church sermons, I can't remember a single one that has dealt with the topic of anxiety and depression or mental illness. And so things are going to be a little different this morning than you're used to perhaps. Uh, The topic is anxiety and depression, but as I prayerfully considered what I was going to say today, I realized, and I think it's pretty true, that most of what I will say is applicable to anybody struggling with the wide range of mental illnesses that we know about. And so I think there's something here for a lot of us. Um, There sure are a lot of reasons to be full of anxiety in our world today, aren't there? Have you ever heard of the doomsday clock? Some of you who are older will. The kids and the teenagers probably will not understand why we even started this. But there was a time when the fear of nuclear attack was so large that we measured how close we were to this. So the idea was that they would measure it by how close, how many minutes was it away from midnight, midnight being doomsday. Well, I was shocked this week to find out that there there have been two times where it's been the closest Two minutes to midnight. The first was in 1953 when the Soviet Union got the atomic bomb. And the second is today, 2018. The closest to doomsday we've been since the 1950s. There's a lot of reasons for that and you can look it up. But if that doesn't get your anxiety running high, how about an article claiming that a third of all Americans believe that a second civil war is coming soon? And if you're not into national or global-type anxiety-driven things, how about this sort of stuff? I was reading yesterday that a typical bed mattress like mine has up to 10 million dust mites living on it. (laughs) And that my cell phone carries 10 times more bacteria than a toilet seat. So put that right up to your ear. Yuck. But here's the thing. You see, these sorts of issues, they can cause us to worry, but they're not what we're talking about when we talk about anxiety and depression from a mental health standpoint. There's a huge difference between worry and clinical anxiety or depression. And it's a hard distinction, I think, for those that don't struggle with it, with the clinical anxiety and depression to make. I'll have more to say about that distinction in a moment, but really it's, first, it's important for us as a church to recognize the severity and widespread nature of these sorts of topics. There are many different forms of these illnesses, but the Institute for Mental Health says that somewhere between 18 and 22% of the entire American population lives with clinical anxiety conditions. And one in seven of us every year will struggle with clinical depression, which put together means that about one in three people sitting in this place today are struggling with one or both of these conditions. It's amazing how if you're one of those, how often we feel so isolated and alone, even though so many struggle with the same types of things. And you may notice that I said, we there Because I'm one of the statistics. Many of you look at me and see somebody confidently leading the church, getting up on a Sunday morning and preaching in front of all of you without anxiety. And maybe you see me as full of fun and extroverted. And because of that image, sometimes perhaps you may make a wrong assumption that the 
The church leadership cannot adequately understand you or, or relate to what you're going through, but, but nothing could be further from the truth. I have struggled with anxiety and depression for almost all of my adult life. It's not been caused by any spiritual or life trauma. My life has largely been full of joy and really positive experiences. I had a great church growing up, lots and lots of fun, many spiritual mentors, great Christian parents, lots of friends and support over the years. But in my early 20s, I experienced anxiety and depression that completely debilitated me for two straight years. I could barely go to work and school and many times couldn't get out of bed, could not deal with anything about life. My anxiety and depression is, is cyclical rather than constant. Some of you may struggle with constant anxiety, but mine comes and goes. And so while I did recover from that anxiety ever since that time, including all of my time here at Sunset, I've lived on what I would call a razor's edge of falling off into that mental place again. I've gained some ground in the battle. And I'm learning coping mechanisms and how to, how to deal with it. And I've gained victory, but I combat this dreadful illness most days. And I slip back from time to time. And so I know what you're feeling like if you're one of those one in three who struggled the same way. As I stand here and tell you all of this, I'm somewhat embarrassed, really, and more than a little anxious about how you might respond to your pastor not being the rock that some of you would like to, to think. I'll admit, and I probably speak for many in, with this condition among us, that the church has not always been the safest place for those struggling with mental illness. But it should be. You see, the Bible is full of people that we would call heroes of the faith who today would easily be diagnosed with anxiety or depression. David is the easiest to see because he's left us so many of his thoughts in the Psalms. Psalm 38, he writes, I'm overwhelmed with burdens too heavy to bear. Psalm 42, he says, Why are you so downcast, my soul? Why so greatly disturbed within me? And Psalm 13, he begs of God, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will the enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. These Psalms are dark and difficult. But actually, I've drawn a lot of strength from these sorts of psalms. They've helped me put to words what I feel. And they've helped me know that God is okay with me not being okay. David, of course, is far from the only biblical hero who struggles with these sorts of things. The great prophet Elijah, record, 1 Kings 10, uh, 19, says he, he got to the point where he said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Jonah, we remember him. He saw God rescue him out of, a, out of a great fish. And yet he gets to the place in Jonah 4 where he says, Oh Lord, take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Job suffered greatly and maintained his faithfulness throughout. But he gets to the place where he says in Job 10, I loathe my very life. 
Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. The great prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 20, Cursed be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Finally, it's important to note that Jesus himself suffered deeply from his humanity, his condition of anxiety, and perhaps even what we would call depression. Isaiah called him a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is recorded as saying, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. And in Luke, we famously learn that Jesus was so full of anguish that he sweat drops of blood. Why recount all these heroes of the faith that have had struggles and dark times? I've got three reasons. First, because it's important for those of us who have these conditions to know that we're not alone. Even people who we look up to as great leaders of the faith, even those have had similar issues. We are not nearly as alone as we often feel. Second, the Bible does not condemn mental illnesses as sinful. This is where it's critical to note the difference between worry and the clinical conditions of anxiety and depression. You see, oftentimes we quote Bible verses like the one in Philippians 4, which says, Do not be anxious about anything. But that word, anxious, is not really used for clinical mental condition, mental illness conditions. That's more about the idea of worrying too much. Two separate things, you see. Two very different things. Overwhelmingly, the Bible offers compassion to those struggling with mental illness. Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Psalm 55. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. There are many others that I could read, but you get the idea. God does not reject you as unfaithful because of your mental illness. Third, it's very clear from these people in the Bible and in my own life that God can and does use people who are not okay. Sometimes the church inadvertently sends a message that we are too weak too broken, too fragile to be used by God. Only the strong can apply. But that is not a biblical idea. David, Elijah, Jonah, Job, Jeremiah, Jesus, all of them mightily used by God despite their human struggle with the illness of anxiety and perhaps depression. You can be used like that too regardless of your struggles. What's true about all of these stories and about mine is that God remained faithful to those who were suffering. Psalm 34, 18, I think it could easily be the key verse of our whole series on it's okay to not be okay. It says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
It's a great verse for those of us who come into this place struggling to hold on to joy in life. Struggling to live life at all, perhaps, some of you. The truth is that God was there in the good days and the dark days for all of the people we see in Scripture. He didn't condemn them for their questions or pain. He didn't tell them to just tough it out and get over it. He reached down into their pit of suffering and lifted them out gently with compassion. He cared. He offered mercy. He brought hope. And he still works the same way. And he often works through his people, through the church. Our world desperately needs the church to understand and have ideas about how to react to those struggling with mental illness. So how can we as a church be God's hands and feet in this area? How can we bring joy and hope to the many in our midst who find this to be a daily struggle? I don't pretend to have really good answers on this topic. Or at least I don't pretend to have definitive answers because it's so complex. There's all kinds of strains of these sorts of mental conditions. And by the way, they don't teach any of this stuff in seminary, so I'm kind of winging it here. I also only have one form of the mental illness that I'm talking about, so I only know one piece. But I think I have some general biblical ideas on how we might respond as the church of Jesus Christ. So first, we need to be open in talking about and to those those with these mental illness conditions. Hope cannot grow in the midst of shame and cover-up. And frankly, that's what we feel a lot. Ashamed of what we are. Weak. Cast aside. And it's not because of things people have said most often. It's how we feel. We're supposed to feel the joy of the Lord all the time we hear. And yet, too often we pretend things are okay when they're not. I've been there. I'm a pastor. I'm not allowed to struggle. Or so I can often think. And so we need to be open and honest about talking about these things. Not shying away from them. For those of us struggling with anxiety and depression, we need to be open and honest with God about it. He knows. He loves us. And here David is our greatest example. He wrote it out across the Psalms for all to see, thousands of years later, how much he struggled. And God, God was okay with it enough to put it in Holy Scripture. God is okay with us struggling. And for me, reading the Psalms have been a huge help in expressing even just mentally what I, what I feel. For those not dealing with mental illness personally, we need you. We need your strength. We need your compassion. We need your words of encouragement and even your words of tough love sometimes. Oh yes, we will snap at you and tell you that your words are unhelpful and that we don't want you near us. You'll have to have a lot of discernment and a ton of patience. But the worst thing you can do is leave us isolated. You heard that a little bit in Abby's video. The worst thing you can do is leave us isolated because you think you won't say the right thing or you're afraid you'll make it worse. 
Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, Two are better than one, for if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is no one else to lift them up. We need you. Those who don't struggle with these sorts of things. And finally, for all of us to keep in mind, mental illness almost always requires help from an expert. I know there's a stigma about this. I was once handed a book by a person trying to help me, and his arg- the argument of the book was, all you need is faith, stay away from psychiatrists and psychologists. I'm serious. This wasn't that long ago. Good Christians don't go to get counseling. Because it's a sign of weak and failed faith, and I want to stand here and say, that is a lie. We need expert help. Proverbs 11.14 says, When there's no guidance, the people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, we can achieve victory. And I think it's true of this case. I believe it is great and biblical wisdom to seek and encourage those you know who are struggling to seek expert help in in dealing with these situations. Church, please, let's do what we can to eliminate or at least reduce the stigma of seeking help for mental illness. While 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 we're talking about getting help, let me also go right there and talk about medication. This is another area I've been told if I was a good Christian, I would not take medication to treat my anxiety. For years I believed this because I was told that the ways to treat it were reading scripture more, praying, resting, exercising, diet. All of those are really good things. And frankly, you need them all. I'm not suggesting that they're unhelpful. But I did all of those things and my anxiety and depression got, kept getting worse. It wasn't helping. For me, they just didn't have any impact on the problem which of course made me feel like a failure and worse than I was before. God really worked on my heart on this one and it took the help of a Christian counselor really to talk me out of my belief that medication was bad faith. I came to the conclusion that a big part of mental illness is physical and not just spiritual. I have a disease And hardly anybody here would tell me if I told you I had strep throat or pneumonia not to take antibiotics and just pray about it. So why would we do that with mental illness? I had to overcome my pride and the advice of well-meaning church friends, but I finally got the help I needed. And today I take citalopram every day to help me manage my condition. I feel that that medication is a gift from God. He gave it to me. He allowed the science to progress to the place where I have medication that can help. Just like I have a pacemaker right here that keeps my heart beating or else I wouldn't be able to stand up. Either one. A gift of God to me. I know medication's not the answer for everybody, but I feel strongly that we as a church must do what we can to help stop creating this stigma around getting help, expert or medication, because I believe God provided that for us. One other thought about trying to help people with mental illness. It's important to remember that everybody's different. 
Many people have tried to help me by suggesting that the answer was time away from the stress or reduction in what I was doing or retreat into the woods. Whenever they do that, my wife actually gets angry at these people. And it's not because they're not well-meaning and well-intentioned, but those treatments have proven to be the worst possible thing I could do for me. They might work for others, but they've driven me further into depression in the past. And so my point here is this. One solution does not fit all mental illness. And the only way to truly help somebody is to get to know them and understand their personal struggle. And then you can try to figure out how you might be able to help. Please don't impose your idea of what should help onto somebody who you haven't taken the time to get to understand what they're struggling with. Lastly, we do need to remember that there's a spiritual component to mental illness. Sometimes anxiety and depression can be caused by sinfulness. For King David, this was a big part of his problem. Sometimes it can be caused by demonic oppression. This was true for King Saul in the Bible. John the Baptist sunk into this sort of condition because of doubt about God and what he was doing. And certainly prolonged stress or worry can cause it as well. But in my experience, ongoing prolonged anxiety and depression is rarely caused by one of those factors. I found it to typically be truly a physical disease. One that you can often tell is even passed down, inherited physically inherited from the parents. And so, I want you to know that while these mental illnesses are definitely caused by sin, they're rarely, not often, caused by particular sin that you have done. What do I mean by that? Well, all disease and suffering in this world is caused by sin. God made things good, but sin wrecked it all. Romans 8 says that all creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth because of its corruption and decay caused by sin in general. That's the world we live in. And these conditions are just one part of a ruined creation that's not what God intended it to be and to which we have sometimes contributed. But the church, we must know that the the answer to help for those struggling with anxiety and depression is not only the things I've discussed to this point, but it is also profoundly spiritual. And my key word there is profoundly, not flippantly. Quoting verses to us that we believe to be true and are true, as if they instantly solve the problem, do more damage than help. We must be willing to engage in what is truly a complex issue. So how does the church help us fight this spiritual battle? I've got a couple ideas on that as well. First, please help us continue to worship, pray, and obey God. We can tend to cut ourselves off from you, the church, and cut ourselves off from worship and not be willing to even engage What might this look like? You know, it might mean understanding that there are people here today who physically have to sit in the back row because they cannot deal with the number of people who are here today. 
It might mean that they, those people, we can't get up to take communion because I can't deal with coming forward. Or that I cower in the face of our meet and greet times because I cannot deal with people that way. Compassion for those who come to this place and struggle. Church leadership, understanding that when we close the back sections, it affects people. We had to learn that the hard way here. This, we need to be here. We need to be worshiping. And sometimes we need your encouragement to draw us in. This is a spiritual battle, and we need the church more than ever. Second, help us and encourage us to find things we enjoy and to pursue those things. Maybe even join us, because for a person struggling with anxiety and depression, getting off the couch or out of bed can be the biggest struggle. And we can... and it adds to our feeling of isolation. So perhaps one of the best things you can do is ask us to take a walk with you. Ask us to spend some time. Offer to come over and watch a program or whatever it is. Find something that we enjoy because God enjoys his children finding pleasure in good things. And staying engaged with life can do wonders for the soul. Finally, help us fight the lies of our minds with the truth of Scripture. Not a flippant or easy type of way, but reading words of hope and encouragement into our souls. I want to tell you that the, the most significant moment of healing I ever had was sitting in a Christian counselor's office. I had read verses a hundred times, but this Christian counselor prayed and read verses over me that were the same, and it was like, it was like taking a bath in the waters of encouragement. Because somebody prayed them and spoke them over me. That's what we can do for other people. We can be the voices of hope and encouragement in their lives. Keep pointing people to Jesus and his compassion and love. He really is the ultimate hope. And he can give us victory, but it's not going to be like that, you see. Lots of Christians want to pray and say, this is going to be the answer. And sometimes it does happen. There are stories of miracles, but for most of us, it will be a lifelong struggle, and the issues are very complex. So keep pointing us to Jesus. And one last thing that I don't even have in my sermon, but I thought of as I was walking out here. If you're a caregiver of someone with anxiety, I just want to say thank you on behalf of those who might not be able to. Oftentimes, you can get attacked by those of us who struggle because we're not so nice when we're in the middle of panic or anxiety. But you're being faithful. And God honors your work. And you are making a difference in the lives of those who struggle. Friends, I, I sincerely hope that this sermon, as weird as it may have been, has been helpful. To encourage you if you struggle with these issues or to give you ideas on helping people you know that do. I think I've prayed more over this sermon than any other I've given because it's personal. And I long for the church to be a place of hope and healing, a place where it's okay to not be okay. I know we're not perfect. I know we'll never get there. But I'm praying that Sunset will continue to move more and more in that direction and that these next few weeks will continue to allow us to deal with and pray over and consider these issues that have for so long been silent in the church. And if I can help you in any way through these sorts of struggles, please know that although I'm not an expert,
my door is always open and I'd love to talk to you. Let's pray. Father God, this has been a tough, tough sermon to give. It hits way too close to home. It's far easier for me to give sermons that don't hit quite that close to home. But Lord, I pray that you have used my words today, that your Holy Spirit will speak words, even if I spoke the wrong ones, that will encourage people's hearts who are here. For the one out of three who are here that struggle, Lord, may you bring hope today, just a little bit, that the church knows, that the church cares, that we love those among us who struggle like this. For those of us who are caregivers, Lord, Will you encourage us today that the work we're doing matters and that you look down with a smile upon those who are fighting the good fight to help those of your children with these conditions. And Lord, I just pray that you will help continue to make sunset a place where it's okay to not be okay. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The benediction comes from Numbers chapter 7. It's a real famous passage, but so appropriate for today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May that be true for you today. God bless you all. Thanks for coming.